Good evening and welcome to the Psych Call Shop. I'm Ace Knight and sitting down with me tonight is Stephen Fardwell. And he's got the new book, The New Universal Dream. Now he also is, you know, um, from the Silicon Valley uh, with success. He, you know, started leading the Humanities Team, a global nonprofit helping people everywhere awaken to the intentionalness, uh, the interconnectedness. He shares his five decades of the journey from the American dream to the conscious leadership in his new book. How are you, Steve? I'm great. Hey, good to be with you, Asen. Looking forward. Yeah, it's been a really good time. Now, you know, you've got yourself connected up with this global initiative with a lot of different authors. Many of them have been, you know, guests on the show, you know, the God consciousness and that type of thing. But what prompted you to write this book? Like what called to you? Yeah, it was it was a calling really to share this story. And it, it it's probably, you know, it may be an unusual story, though it starts probably where uh, your viewers and listeners start. I grew up in a very normal home, divorced mom, six brothers and sisters, very small home and a dog. And uh, yeah, I even was paying for my own braces in the sixth grade because, uh, you know, family couldn't afford it. So I was an orthodontist that would take a payment plan. Wow. And then we, we fast forward from college 11 years and I'm out in Silicon Valley in the right place at the right time starting uh, my first company there. Mm -hmm. We took it to $75 million, two guys, used furniture, executive suite, and an inexpensive part of San Francisco. And then we, we birthed a second company inside of the first company that we built to $75 million in two years. Mm -hmm. And that gave me entrance into what I'm going to call the center of wealth creation in Silicon Valley, where people like Gavin Newsom are in my chapter and Right. Reed Hastings hadn't yet started Netflix. He was in the chapter next to me, was doing charter schools at the time. And other people like that, that were in these uh, business chapters, something called YPO, Young President's Organization. Yeah. That I was in. And, and then I, you know, during this time frame, I had went through my own awakening, which then detoured me into this very, very different life that I call conscious living and humanities team. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, since you were in Silicon Valley, what's your thoughts of everyone talking about companies moving out of Silicon Valley and businesses moving to other areas? Because Silicon Valley in itself has been kind of like a hub for a lot of new technologies. Yeah, Silicon Valley is going to be a, a draw, you know, way past our the end of our lifetimes. Mm -hmm. If you're going to start a business, as I did, where I, I started my two companies there in Silicon Valley, no better place in the whole world because of the schools that are located there, the money sources, mm -hmm. uh, the the business opportunity. We were business to business as these companies that I started. Uh, so this it's got a great future. It's there's a little pullback now as we know there's some challenges in San Francisco and right. uh, homelessness and things, but they'll get their arms around these challenges and Silicon Valley will continue to nothing but grow. Mm -hmm. Now, do you think some of the silicon that's actually in the valley there and the vibration affects the growth and the productivity out of those, you know, young presidents and the new thinking that goes on there? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you, you've got Berkeley there, Cal Berkeley, you've got Stanford, mm -hmm. uh, two great, great schools and other really fantastic schools that are there, Santa Clara University, you know, mm -hmm. the UC school system. Uh, you've got the venture community that's located right there on Sand Hill Road. 
right. the, the, the dominant venture companies that are funding a lot of this work. Right. And, and so you've got a lot of then entrepreneurs that move out there mm -hmm. uh, precisely because it's such a great foundation for starting and growing companies. Right. Uh, so it's, it's really good at that. It was, you know, in, as I tell this 50 year story in my book, a new universal dream. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's, I left Silicon Valley though, because it isn't, uh, at least it, when I left in 2007, wasn't really the place that you were going to birth the whole conscious living movement, such as what humanity's team has grown into. So this is why I moved my family in uh, 2007 out to Boulder, Colorado. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. And I've seen a lot of that. Now, just for clarification, yes, you know, Ingenio, one of the companies that I work for, are based out of Silicon Valley. So, you know. I just find it interesting that it's been the hub for so many developments in, in the spiritual community, but I often wondered if it was also in those upper echelon board meeting settings that there was a little bit of spirituality growing through it. So, and, and, I, and I think probably today uh, that's true because, you know, worldwide spirituality or, or conscious living is starting to, as you mentioned, grow through it. This, right. especially you know, in these last years, as we know, there, there there's uh, a good deal of anxiety, some even some depression, some mm -hmm. disempowerment. People now increasingly going within and saying, you know, is this all life has to offer? Is there more for me than that? And this is where conscious living and spirituality come in. And and this, of course, is what uh, the work that we do in, in Humanities Team with our streaming platform, where we're streaming all over the world, our conscious programming, uh, where uh, we we uh, come to, you know, I, I, I shared in the 90s, I went through my own personal awakening where we have, you know, an awakening of sorts where we come to understand, oh, my God, you know, I'm more than just my mom and dad's son. I'm actually uh, one with all of the universe and cosmos, which is what scientists are sharing today. Right. And that's what they're getting into a lot in that cutting edge technology. So when did you start shifting from doing to being? I started shifting from doing to being there in during this this personal awakening in the mid 1990s, where I could see that I was, you know, the, what scientists say today. Uh, a reference to Sim Harriman, his Resonance Science Foundation. Uh, right now, it's based out of Southern California. Mm -hmm. So, and he's got his unified field uh, theory, which is what Einstein was working with right at his at the time of his uh, passing. Never quite got there. Einstein and others are, are there now where they look at everything from protons, quantum scale to mm -hmm. cosmological objects, galaxies, everything physical and non-physical in between. Right. And they're saying, you know, everything actually is sovereign, they'll use that term, to this one body, which we'll call universe or cosmos. And then they'll say, so that means that you're inseparable from the universe. So you should be walking tall with good posture, with strong and powered because because the universe can't be without you. You know, this is a scientist talking, not, not right. a spiritual leader like a Michael Beckwith. So this was back in the mid-90s, you know, Neil Donald Walsh and uh, Deepak Chopra, uh, Wayne Dyer and these, where I got in touch with this whole uh, oneness thing, you know, or this deeply uh, unified reality. Uh, and when we get in touch with that and understand that we're actually a part of the cosmos, a part of the universe, that we have uh, then the same properties, you know, the Rumi quote that we're not just 
a drop in the ocean where the whole ocean in a drop, right? The famous Rumi quote, which means that we have everlasting life and we have unlimited potential and all of these things. And then as we feel into that, this is kind of a long answer to your question, but feel into that, this is where this whole being thing comes in, where we're not just in the in this whole logic center of the mind thing with task lists. So I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do that, and do this. We start coming down into more of the uh, wisdom center of our soul, call it place. I'll call it where we're listening to that still small voice, and that's where then we enter this whole being state thing that's informing our doing, and it's in fact informing our whole life. Right now. What was the shift for you? What was the aha? Like, okay, I don't like whatever I'm doing is not what I need to be doing. I need to make these shifts. Yeah, I read uh, the the co-founder of Humanities Team with me. We were, we're 20 years old, actually, uh, <laughs> this month. <laughs> so, right, 2003 is in Wilsonville, Oregon. We founded Humanities Team. Neil Donald Walsh, who is the author of the Conversations with God series. Founded humanities team with me. And yeah, there in the mid-90s, I read his book one, Conversations with God, book one, that that lays out in very simple terms, you know, that all of life is a part of the one. The same thing that scientists are saying, right? Right. We're all one uh, with the divine, each other, all of life, the earth, you know, etc. Uh, and when I got in touch with that and then decided it was true, uh, if when you when your belief system shifts to something like that, your whole life, you're now standing on a different foundation. It's different ground. It's, mm-hmm. it's different. Uh, life really becomes quite different. So it was there in the mid 1990s right. that um, I really went through this shift. And it was what caused me to lose my passion for business and to say there's there's more important work that I could be doing than just being a serial entrepreneur, making a bunch of money. Mm-hmm. And do you think that's what we've seen with like, you know, um, Oh, come on. Founder of Windows, you know, he's now, you know, stepped aside. I think we started seeing some of it with uh, Stephen Jobs. You know, he kind of like got a little tired and he got very philosophical in his biography. Um, my brain escapes me on the founder of Windows, but the one that's now doing all the things. There you go. Do you think that they've, that, that, they basically reached the same point as kind of like what am I doing? Steve Jobs had his moment in, in his biography, you know, this trip to India and then this whole one oneness farm up in Oregon. And so he definitely was somebody who deeply understood this whole conscious reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did not, you know, he ended up moving in this product direction with, with Apple computer. Uh, Bill Gates uh, certainly ecology he's come around to, you know, he's written this book now on climate change the where he's advocating for all these things we can do to get neutral. So we don't have CO2 emissions and we heal this whole, uh, 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 climate change thing. I don't know where, you know, he's, uh, I haven't read that he's deeply spiritual. I think his wife, he's now separated from her, but I think she actually does have some, uh, some real spiritual dimensions. Oh, I think she does too. I think she's always kind of been the heart and, you know, that type of thing. And now I think he's coming to that reckoning. Yeah. Talked about living consciously. Tell us about like, I don't know, I'm a big morning routine person, an evening routine person, and, you know, that type of productivity. What does yours look like? 
So yes, let me tell you what mine looks like. And then I can even share some steps for people that are saying, hey, how do I start if I haven't started? Uh, mm -hmm. so for me, and now I've been in this, I mentioned 1995. So I'm, you know, this, this is now a 28 year uh, journey for me in terms of deepening my own conscious journey. So uh, there's a lot of stuff I do. I do uh, meditations throughout my day, morning and evening, and, and often more than that. Uh, meditations can take different forms. It's mostly for me metaphysical, where this is uh, uh, Joe uh, Dispenza, you know, on TikTok, you pick up his, his whole, he calls it creating in the quantum field. Mm -hmm. uh, it's actually, this is a metaphysical, which goes back 2000 years where it was said, and it's done unto you as you believe. We've probably heard that quote. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course, Esther Hicks, you know, with the yeah, book, yeah. Abraham, you know, uh, uh, so, so this is really a big thing right now is kind of siloed into this whole notion of it's more of a Christmas like thing of feel into it and desire it and draw it to you in the vacation and the home and so on, which does work, you know, but right. we can also use it. I use it for uh, this work that we do in Humanities Team, which is all about creating this flourishing and su sustainable world, not mm -hmm. only for our generation, but future generations, where you're really feeling into an awakening for all of humanity, where we're coming to know ourselves, like what the scientists say, that we're deeply interconnected and interdependent mm -hmm. uh, with the world around us. And then we're taking responsibility more, we're taking positive action more. So where I'm seeing those kinds of things for for the world and for my family. I've got two young adults, an 18 year old, a 21 year old, I'm happily married. So I'm doing a lot of metaphysical like that where I'm right. seeing and feeling, tasting and touching. Uh, you know, actually we're creating, we're creators, right? Is right. What, uh, what what both spiritual and science uh, is saying. Mm -hmm. So where I'm, where I'm with uh, our team creating those kinds of things going into the future, I play spiritual music. I uh, I, I eat thoughtfully more for nutrition than just for taste. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, there's there's a lot of things here. What if I was going to though talking to this audience? Some some of the things that we can do as we're getting started are just breathing. You know, where we're just noticing breathing, and we're not doing it to kind of get past it, uh, but we're doing it to really breathe, to really breathe into it, inhale and exhale, uh, and really be present then as we're breathing. Uh, and then as we're present to notice this whole, if, especially it's nice if we can do this with nature, you know, we're in the spring here in North America. Right. So if there's nature outside of my window and you're breathing, you're present. That's starting to bring you now into this being state thing of mm -hmm. instead of just, you know, I'm going to go do this task and then that task and that task, which was my life, most of our lives right. growing up. is what we were taught in school, right? That we start leaving that for just really feeling into and being really present and being connected to the world around us, to nature, to the night sky, you know, mm -hmm. to the cosmos, to the universe. Right. Um, so, and then uh, be there, in this oneness thing, we can actually call in with meditation and with prayer where we, where we ask for guidance and say, uh, I want to be guided, you know, guide me. So we have, we have actually angels and guides around us. There's the one, which we call the divine and humanities team, but right. it's just like to call the one universe that works fine. You know, these are interchangeable words actually, but where we ask to be, to be guided and we will be guided. We can ask for support. We will uh, get support. So, and once we get lay down these tracks of really being uh, coming into being states, really eating well, sleeping well, 
Mm -hmm. uh, more going to that still small voice living from there instead of just the worldly noise where our parents say do this and our coworkers say do that, where we're more tuning out the worldly noise, paying attention to our still small voice and getting guidance and so on. Now we're well, we're, we're, we're on this beautiful conscious journey where right. it's like drift diving, if anybody here, you know, is scuba dived or snorkeled, where you just put your hands up and you're just in flow, right? It's just an easy thing. And it's not that your problems go away. I still have problems like everybody else, mm -hmm. but I'm dealing with those problems from a very different place than those years before where mm -hmm. I'm just in the mental, you know, roller coaster up, you know, good day, bad day, up, down. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't experience that now. Oh, interesting. So what's your wife think about this? Uh, my wife, my wife loves it. Okay. Yes, sir. I was thinking it's almost like a total um, reverse flip from, you know, super CEO, building businesses, building things, staying on the go, in meetings, all this to, you know, I have, you know, I don't start till two. I've got morning meditation, you know, and then I'm going to go do some hiking or yoga. You know, why don't we have some live, you know. Honey, you don't really need to cook me breakfast. I'm going to go over and have, you know, I don't know, you know, some yogurt and fresh fruit. You know, was she like, what are you up to? <laughs> yeah, so let me let me uh, go back to when I first made this decision in the 90s that I was uh -huh. going to leave this seven-figure lifestyle every year. Uh -huh. uh, thank God that I married the woman that I did because almost, you know, there, there just aren't many marriages that will make it through that. Uh, right. And I did marry the right person. And she said, Steve, let's go. You know, and, and we did. We journeyed together and adopted two beautiful kids and, and all the way to today. Mm -hmm. uh, so but it, there was there was challenge. You know, it's it's when you leave all of that, those business associations sell the businesses. Uh, I told her, in fact, then I said, Stephanie, I may not ever draw a paycheck again. And in fact, I haven't drawn a paycheck since 1999. Right. Uh, so. Uh, now that means, of course, I created abundance back then from, from being a business person that allowed me to do that. Uh, so now we fast forward to today where, again, there's a big wave coming in. You know, we were sharing there are a lot of people now that uh, even five years ago weren't thinking in terms of the spiritual self, weren't thinking in terms of is there more to life? Mm -hmm. We're thinking in terms of, you know, is there deeper meaning and purpose? So these are all things that have really sprung to life more in the last five years. And now there's tremendous interest in it. And it's why our streaming, conscious streaming platform is right. going like crazy. Uh, and uh, so these practices now, you know, uh, my wife and I, she, of course, has her own way mm -hmm. of doing things, her own yoga, her own diet. Uh, right. You know, you're always going to have. Uh, two people that are kind of adopting these measures in different ways, but mm -hmm. but she's all on board too and, and sees this same future that I see. <clears throat> so, you know, you're very experienced in business, right? Do you think there's a way to consciously run a business with the, you know, because we, we see companies that are a little looser than, you know, the 90s, but, you know, the lower employees cannot just walk up to the CEO and go, you know, I think we got to paint the main entryway you know to be a little bit more calmer so do you think there's conscious the opportunity for conscious leadership and what does that look like comparative to traditional corporate behavior yes so a couple things here one uh, just my book so a new universal 
dream. Um, it, I'm actually giving away my masterclass. It's a $299 masterclass. It's called Conscious Leadership. Mm -hmm. uh, Humanities team, my this 501c3 nonprofit that I work for, we're giving away the masterclass when people buy the $18.99 book. Uh, if you go to Amazon or wherever you buy it, but if right. you go to a new universal dream.com, uh, you can read a little about the book. The first four chapters are unlocked, so you can read it for free. And mm -hmm. then if you end up buying the book, you just enter the receipt number there uh, and your email address, and then we unlock the whole masterclass. Uh, it is a true $300 masterclass uh, right. that we're giving away on conscious leadership. So I mentioned that right up front because that's going to go a lot deeper than right. the thing can get into here right this moment. But I'm also on a podcast just on conscious business because mm -hmm. the way that I was able to retire when I was quite young was mm -hmm. this, especially my first business, uh, we didn't call it conscious business there in the 1990s, but it was. We, we practiced something called open book management where we revealed all of our finances and bank account information, everything to our, our team. We adopted a uh, right. High school that didn't have any money. You know, we were doing a lot of things right that attracted the best and brightest to us uh, and caused them to stay, you know, and not leave. Uh, so, and that is how we created, we grew just Inc. 500 twice, almost three times. We grew over to Europe. We were starting up in Japan in the second company. So, mm -hmm. how we grew so fast is through uh, these conscious business practices. So, right. so, here's the thing is, People, when they first hear about conscious business, they'll say, yeah, but could that work? And do we really think the world could go there? And my answer to that is, boy, if you want to see just meteoric success, turn it into a conscious business. Because conscious business just means it's open, it's truthful, it's loving. You know, so you're treating even vendors well. And vendors are always treated terribly, you know. Right. Uh, but you're even treating vendors well. Uh, and watch your business just take off. Uh, it, when you go in this conscious direction. And did you notice that your, even your vendors had a more vested interest in the company's success because there's that level of honesty there? Absolutely. We were, our big partner in, in vendor was Cisco Systems. If you've heard of them, they're out in Silicon Valley. Yeah. Uh, and they made us their partner of the year for North America. You know, brought us in on stage, thousands and thousands of people mm -hmm. to give us their big partner of the year award. Because right. we were so genuine, you know, thoughtful. Um, they give you things, products for display that they ask you not to sell. Almost everybody did. We right. never we never sold those. We never we were always good to our word about everything. You know, it's what you right. when you're conscious, that's how that's what you do. Right. And you not only that, but you know, you have some real I don't know. For me, I think vendors sometimes uh, you know, for vendors, you've got to have hard conversations. Like, you know, this is what we need from you. This is when we need it from you. And we need it for X amount of dollars. And vendors go, yeah, we need, you know, but if you're dealing with them honestly and saying, look, you know, we know that these products have bugs in them. These are the bugs we need fixed. You'll have a more genuine business relationship there. Yeah, for sure. Um, and this is also, you know, I would say um, that uh, real conscious business isn't afraid to tell the truth yeah. this is going to do the new age thing of oh we can't just like you say oh let's just kind of not be truthful and just sort of talk yeah. you know uh about things in a pleasant way 
that there's there's no favors being done when we do. Uh, so we were very uh, we were extremely honest about everything, including things that might be a little challenging to talk about. You know, this customer situation, this right. level of support that we need. Uh, you know, we weren't afraid to just be straight up right. about the things that we needed to be straight up about. Right. And very direct with it. I think that that would be a definite improvement for Contos. Uh, yeah. You know, what changes have you seen, Card? Because, you know, you're, what, 23 years out of the rat race, we'll call it. What changes have you seen? Are we headed towards consciousness? Are we getting more there? Absolutely. You know, in fact, uh, people have labeled this the age of consciousness. You know, we used to call it the information age right back there in the 80s and 90s and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, now, <clears throat> I've heard several people say this is the age of consciousness. And I think it is the age of consciousness because uh, this is the big thing. Right now, this whole these uh, things like creating in the quantum field are siloed where it's just considered as a standalone thing. Sure. But it's also psychics that are, we, we deal in the humanities team. We work with the near death experience community right now. We've got a brand new program with Evan Alexander. He's the neurosurgeon that wrote the book proof of heaven. So, and he tells a story of uh, which he's put through peer review of how, when our body's consciousness goes down, you know, the, the, the one consciousness of which we are a part is fully present. You know, it's a beautiful world there. Mm -hmm. uh, so we also work with mediums, you know, that Suzanne Giesman, who used to fly in uh, Air Force One with the right. president, she was the chief of staff to the, uh, uh, or the assistant to the chief of staff for uh, Air Force, Army, Navy. Mm -hmm. uh, she's now a medium. And so I, I mentioned their backgrounds because these are people that are not woo-woo at all. They're, you're, you're looking at people that know how to be very left brain right. uh, and speak, you know, honestly to people. And, so the afterlife uh, is something that really comes straight into focus where we understand there is really no such thing as death. Right. Uh, we, during our Memorial Day communication that we sent out, we said, yeah, we honor those that died in these wars, but they are not gone. You know, I mean, uh, that, right. that may sound uh, funny to people here. In fact, I was reading in today's uh, on, on uh, Google that uh, Governor Schwarzenegger, California, was saying there's no such thing as heaven. You know, it's just, well, you're six feet under the ground. This fluffy nature of heaven thing just isn't real. I can tell you from all the mediums that I work with and the near-death experience people that I work with, absolutely, positively, uh, there is no death. You know, but there, it's consciousness. It's, right. you know, that we're actually, and our, our brain, you know, our bodies are just the receivers to this higher consciousness. So this whole conscious living thing, this whole spiritual thing, as it unfolds in these weeks and months and years ahead, people are going to really come into the fuller understanding that, oh my God, you know, I'm one of the 8 billion faces here on the planet of consciousness itself. Right. Um, and with that, you know, I do want to kind of dance a little bit on this. Where do you, do you think that we'll ever be able, meaning non-psychic, non-medium, non-prognosis, normal humans be able to access consciousness at a higher rate even with like the you know we are seeing with the apple um i don't know their new thing here that was the goggle thing um and you know we're getting more ai tech where is that leading into this consciousness 
So when we and when we talk about consciousness, let me talk about it on two levels. There's one, there's the universal consciousness that animates all of life. People probably have heard that term, mm -hmm. universal consciousness that animates all of life. And that is that universal consciousness is in perfect bliss and peace and harmony. Uh, and again, it's the scientists now are sharing this. You know, again, go to Resonance Science Foundation or go to Greg Braden, uh, who's also a scientist. He's and, and listen to his work, Bruce Lipton. Uh, there, there are many scientists now that are in this work. And what they share is the the universe is actually in perfect harmony and cooperation. It's not this, we were all taught in grade school, oh, you know, that uh, we, we've got this uh, uh, reptilian brain, you know, we're actually born to be in competition. Uh, scientists now are saying it just isn't true. We, we are not that. We're born actually to be in harmony and cooperation, et cetera. So there's a universal consciousness that is in that always. Now, when we talk about those of us here on earth, what is what we often hear is that what Einstein said, that we have to raise consciousness here on the earth, right? This okay. was, you know, his famous quote that, that uh, problems can't be solved at the same level of consciousness that they're created. We have to go up. He says, we've got to elevate our consciousness. So okay. that's because, uh, we're energetic beings, and, and are, as energetic beings, many of us are vibrating down here, much lower, where we're in the logic center of our mind. It's a good day. It's a bad day. You know, the, the moon is in retrograde, this kind of stuff. Uh, when we train ourselves through these pra spiritual practices, conscious practices that I talked about, we actually raise our vibration, raise it, raise it, raise it. We can't get sick as it gets higher. And then uh, healers, the alchemists, keep going, keep going higher and higher and higher. And as you go up into those higher frequencies, then you become a healer, John of God. People have probably, you know, where there's just right. unbelievable miracle healing happening. Okay, we're now up at that, these very high vibration states. Mm -hmm. Where 2,000 years ago, where these things had happened, guess who was at that, you know, we're very high vibration states right. where we can, where, where this kind of miracle power is going on. Right. Uh, so, Yes, yeah, so consciousness here when in the context of us here on the earth, we want to think about it in terms of how do I raise my own consciousness and so that I'm I feel good, I'm in flow, you know, I'm not I don't get sick very often. And then some people are called to just keep going and they become powerful, powerful healers and alchemists. Mm -hmm. And you know, tell us a little more about the streaming service. You said that you've got mediums on there, you've got other precognitions on there. You've got healers on there. What's the programming like? Like, is it podcasts? Is it video training courses? Where, what's with that? Yeah, so it's a, so this is Humanities Team. And if, if you go to humanitiesteam.org, that's with a Y, humanitiesteam.org. We're a 501c3 nonprofit. And so our, what we were called to with this whole, our, our vision as a nonprofit, which means we don't have shareholders, which means it's not about top line growth. It's right. not about bottom line growth. It's about supporting people, your viewers, you know, your listeners here right. uh, that are on the conscious journey. That's that's our mission. So uh, and in fact, what we share, the particular download we got, Neil Donald Walsh, Conversations with God Foundation, Humanities Team a year ago, we started an initiative called Changing Humanity's Future. And that initiative is about making conscious living pervasive worldwide by 2040. That's in only 17 years. So, right. so people will say. Well, that's a big lift. How do you plan to make conscious living pervasive worldwide in 17 years? What is your strategy? Well, this is the strategy. Create a streaming platform mm -hmm. where, and where you've got 
the scientists, Nassim, Bre Nassim Harriman, Greg Braden, Bruce Lipton, Lynn McTaggart, HeartMath leaders. Uh, you've got uh, Neil Donald Walsh, uh, Michael Bernard Beckwith, uh, just the medium. So uh, Suzanne Giesman, who I mentioned, Evan Alexander, sure. uh, incredible. Uh, with the uh, Wayne Dyer's family, his his two daughters, uh, Serena Sage Dyer, who yeah. share about how their dad is still working in today's world. That's that's yeah. a story unto itself. So we have hundreds of these master classes on the streaming platform. It's called Humanity Stream Plus, and if you go to humanitiesteam.org, you'll be able to read about it. Right. And, and as a nonprofit, we just keep bringing the price down and you know, the monthly price down, and then we give it away. Mm -hmm. uh, can't afford it. We have a one-for-one -one program like Tom Shoes. So every time somebody buys a paid subscription, which mm -hmm. is four hundred dollars, three ninety-nine a year, or thirty-nine ninety-nine a month, we give away uh, a subscription to people mostly outside of the U.S. Where uh, even though that's economical for us here in the U.S., you know, you go outside of this country, that's uh, four hundred bucks a year isn't economical. You know, and a lot of a year is you know, if we look at like Mexico, that's a yearly salary. Yeah. You know, that can right. be a lot. Um, and, you know, with this, you know, the one for one, you've also got, you know, like forbidden scientists, um, technologies, consciousness, and evolution, life after death, cosmic forces, the science of self empowerment, which is a great class. I took that one when it was offered earlier. Um, the soul circle, healing the past, you know, that's working through your past traumas. Um, a lot of these are really big name offered. Um, sacred numerology, great class if you're into numerology. That's way past the level that I teach numerology at, guys. But that's a great one. Um, and then, you know, you've got business classes like publicity crash course and creating money and, of course, conscious living and, you know, the courage to change everything. 5E um, financial freedom formula. So this is not just what I classify as woo-woo science and woo-woo classes. This is also practical classes to put into creation. Um, notice I didn't say put into work. It's creation because you start creating your own cosmos and creating where you're wanting things to go to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It uh, This is all grounded stuff. My background's grounded. I mentioned the faculty. These are icons, many of them, mm -hmm. in the industry. And they are attracted to us because we're a nonprofit and we've got a more, I'll call it noble objective of, hey, let's let's just support people right. on the this journey. You know, the, the thing about this is microcosm, macrocosm, right? So right. As, as enough of us start becoming conscious and really uh, being more responsible, taking positive action out in the world, being sensitive to things like uh, global warming and mm -hmm. wars and things, uh, macrocosm starts getting affected. You know, the tipping point enters in, the whole Malcolm Gladwell thing, right? Right. But, uh, we start creating a whole world that's different, that's healthier, there's well-being, uh, there's joy, there's laughter, there's being state that we were talking about. We all start living more that way. So, right. and that's what humanity's team is about, is let's support people individually on this conscious journey and with, uh, with the notion the collectively, you know, the whole of the planet can get there too. And so that our kids, you know, and future generations can enjoy the planet that we've all enjoyed growing up on. Or a better one, you know, and you've also got it on all devices. You know, it's in Amazon, so you can use it on your Fire. It's on Android, so you can, it's on Google Play, so it can go on any of your Android. 
Of course, you know, you got your iPhone and your Roku all set up there that can stream. And the way it looks at the content, it'll take you a couple years to get through the content alone if that just becomes your number one streaming thing. Right. It's a true streaming platform. And the transformational education industry, it's actually the only true streaming platform that, like you mentioned, it's on all of those platforms. We, right. My wife and I like to watch on TV, so we use Roku. But mm -hmm. uh, you could use Google Play. You know, there, there's, right. there's Apple TV, any way to bring it into your home. And then as far as content, last year alone, we brought 55 new programs mm -hmm. to platform we're on track to do 55 this year then we have live programs all mm -hmm. week long on wednesday there are three live programs uh most days of the week there's a live program for these stream members so we actually call it a community a conscious community even before we call it a video training platform right because ultimately that's what it's about is in today's world uh people that are listening in you know this is their thing but they may in their home, they may have, they probably have family members that aren't conscious, neighbors that aren't, coworkers right. that aren't. So it's a place where you can gather with others that are really get it, you know, are living right. healthy lives. And, and fun. That connection. And, you know, what I like is your platform, the streaming platform is a balance. And I think that's really important, you know, especially in my industry, in the psychic industry. No one teaches a psychic business class. I'm working on developing one, but no one teaches you the business of being a psychic. No one teaches you how to stay in that alpha brain while remembering, you know, to pay the electric bill type behavior. Um, so you coming into this and you've got your business classes there, you've got your leadership classes there, but you also have the higher level consciousness and the connective consciousness. That's a very good full rounded circle of education there. Yeah, yeah, and, and embodied practices. So the yoga, the uh, all kinds of embodied practices where, where, where this whole being state thing is really given expression, you know, because we're really living into it fully. Uh, so yes, that's the whole objective is to really fill out that whole world of things that we can, that we can do and be consciously so we can live just a really, really high quality life. And I'll just say, because we talked about Silicon Valley earlier, you know, in Silicon Valley, I thought that I was going to find that true prosperity, right? That you climb the ladder of success and I was going to find true prosperity. Honestly, I didn't, I didn't find it there. Where I found it is right here. The things we're talking about now, mm -hmm. uh, home that I have today, mm -hmm. uh, you know, wow. I mean, this is where life gets really delicious. And I know your listeners and viewers that are on this journey uh, understand that it's where life, you know, it's what life was supposed to be about in the first place. Well, Steve, I have to take a break and we'll come back. We'll talk about what you're headed into next, shall we? Okay, let's do it. Awesome. Hey, everybody. Lady Gwendolyn here from Rowan Temple of Light, and I'm here to tell you about our events this summer. First up is Beltane in the Hills, May 13th, and that is from 1 to 6. We have entertainment. We have a bunch of vendors. We have a fairy photo shoot. It's going to be exciting. You have any questions, uh, reach out to Earth Magic or to myself. Um, after that, we have uh, Central West Virginia Pagan Pride, August 19th. That's at Holly Gray Park from 11 to 5 for the day. And we will have Sarah Masters coming down from Pittsburgh to be our keynote speaker. We have some great classes for that. So, if you want to get involved, reach out to Rowan Temple of Light at Gmail or 
just follow us along on Facebook at Rowan Temple of Light, and we look forward to seeing you out in the community. See you there. Welcome back, goblins! My name is Jason, and I am the host of the Esoteric Book Club, a podcast that examines titles on the magical, paranormal, the mysterious, and the strange. I release two episodes a month in which I review books on esoteric topics, recap news of the weird, and conduct interviews with authors, practitioners, and experiencers. The Esoteric Book Club can be found on every major podcast service or can be streamed directly from esotericbookclub.org. Hi, I'm Ace and Knight. I provide tarot readings covering everything from love and relationships to your life questions and your spiritual answers. And also, I provide a lot of guidance and finances and divorces and all those relationship problems. So, if you'd like to get a reading from me privately, not on air, you can feel free to do so by visiting aceandnight.com and booking your appointment. I also provide on-demand services, so if your life is a little chaotic, you can go ahead and click that call now button there on my site. It'll connect you to Keen, and if you've not been with Keen before, you'll get three free minutes to talk with me, so that's great for a quick answer question. All right, guys, back to the show. Enjoy. Bye, y'all. Hi, I'm Tracy Van. I provide a blended reading consisting of mediumship, psychic, and tarot cards. A reading from me can cover any guidance you need from relationships with your partner or your family, spiritual, financial, any questions you may need clarity on. If you would like to book an appointment with me, check out my website, tracyvan.com. That's T-R-A-C-Y. B-A-N-N dot com. I have bookings from 15 to 60 minutes you may choose from. That helps if you just have a quick question, need an answer, or if you're looking for a reading in more depth, I'm here to provide the guidance and clarity for you. Uh, let's just figure it out. Bye. All right. Welcome back. So, Steve, what's your next project? What's he got on that um, compound board? So the the project that we just launched just just in the last few days, uh, it's called Unlocking the Intelligence of the Afterlife. So this is the program with this neurosurgeon, uh, Evan Alexander III. He's uh, he, he wrote this bestseller called Proof of Heaven. People may have heard of this book. Mm -hmm. uh, and then his partner, Karen Newell, uh, who's also a scientist, and then Suzanne Giesman, who's one of the most esteemed uh, uh, people in the area of uh, uh, mediumship. So in fact, she's in the Watkins 100 list of, you know, most uh, biggest spiritual leaders in the world. So the three of them worked with humanities team to launch this program, unlocking the intelligence of the afterlife. So if you go to our humanities team website with a Y humanities team.org, there's a, you'll see a free program. It's an hour long and, you can register and participate in that program. And I encourage everybody to do that. Just go through the free program because I promise you, unless you're really well down this path and know the whole NDE thing well and mediumship well, you're going to uh, probably be surprised at some of the uh, research that they bring in during this program. So that's 
one of the big things that we're working on that's going to this humanity stream plus platform you know this conscious streaming platform that we've been talking about so that's that's one thing that's right here right now that's that's new um another thing is i mentioned with neil donald walsh the author of the conversations with god book series his foundation is called conversations with god foundation humanities team and then partners all over the world uh that are our faculty on the streaming platform join with us to create this initiative called changing humanity's future and if you go to changinghumanitiesfuture.org, uh, you can read all about this initiative. It's to, in the next 17 years, to make conscious living pervasive worldwide. Uh, and it's got all kinds of free resources on the page. There's one of the uh, resources, you'll see a button on the page that says confirmations of a conscious reality. So I've been sharing here during this discussion of a few of the scientists that are talking about this whole unitive narrative or oneness or unity consciousness, but you'll read all of them back to Plato and and, and 450 BCE, Hippocrates, uh, right in that same time frame, all the way forward. You'll read uh, what scientists and uh, contemporary figures uh, back to the antiquity of time have shared. You know, is true about this whole conscious reality. You'll also read action steps of uh, we were talking earlier here about things we can do to live more consciously. There's a whole lot more there on the action step page of things that you can do to really live consciously and into its fullness in your home, at work, out in the world. Uh, and there's even you know a lot more than that. So invite people to uh, read about it, check it out. Uh, we think there's nothing more important that we could be doing on the planet right now where this term you know existential crisis is starting to surface more and more uh, and that gives us some pause, you know, and say, wow, you know, uh, I worry about the future generations that uh, are coming to this planet. This initiative is all about making sure that that terminology will go away. There won't be an existential crisis because right. as conscious people, we're going to steward this earth well and each other, you know, take take care of humankind here. Wonderful. Very cool. Well, thank you for coming and having coffee with me. And you come back when you get your next book out, because we know that more is coming out of this. Guys, go check out the Humanities Team website. Check out a anewuniversaldream.com. Get the book. Go through the Leadership Master Classes. Because, I'm sorry, any I don't care where you're at within the business world. It's very good and very highly important. And the other part of that is also look into some more conscious living. Go ahead and check out the humanitystream.org. It has a lot of good classes, and for 39 bucks a month, like I'll be bitchy about it. One class by you know Suzanne Glesman is going to be more than $39. And she's got what five up? She's what? got a yeah, a bunch of them, and she's in this new one. Yeah, uh, Suzanne Geesman, boy, go to YouTube and watch how she is just soaring to new heights. Hundreds yeah. of thousands of people watch those little clips and then we've got her full-on master classes on the platform right you know and then you know you got mike newman um which is another well-known author teacher and poet you know so you've got a lot of spirituality there you also have the business mind of things they've got good feedback and it looks to me like they're covering probably all the bases even to like you guys hear me talk about science and metaphysics and that type of thing yeah, there's science now catching up to it. So go check that out. And we'll see you later, Steve, okay? 
Hey, thank you so much for having me on the show here, uh, Asen. Real pleasure to be with you and your viewers. Look forward to having you again, darling. Okay. Back at you, friend. Godspeed, everybody. Namaste. Namaste. Hi, this is Sandy Star. I'm a psychic and I work on Keen and I have been working on Keen for over 22 years. You can reach me on 01068. I deal with a myriad of subjects, but I do specialize in relationships, marriages, divorces, is he cheating, is she cheating? Whatever the dynamic of the relationship is, I will guide you through. I've got amazing radar for cheaters, so I will tell you the truth if he or she is cheating. I can help with any subject you need me to help you with besides relationships. And I look forward to hearing from you. Again, you can reach me through Keen. My extension number is 01068. I really look forward to hearing from you and helping you with whatever you need me to help you with. Hi, I'm Tracy Van. I'm a psychic medium and I work with tarot cards. I also practice Reiki and access bars. I would like to share with you what a reading with me is like. It is a blended reading of psychic and mediumship. And I deliver these messages exactly as they come through. I'm not going to mince words or add any padding. I am a professional, reliable, and honest communicator. I have readings available anywhere from 15 minutes to an hour. You can book a reading with me at tracyvan.com. That's T-R-A-C-Y-V-A-N-N.com. And no, I'll always tell you exactly what you need to hear. Hey everybody, Natalie here from The Pendulum's Path. If you are in need of guidance, direction, spiritual connection, healing, or more, you have come to the right place. I have worked as a psychic and a medium for over three years, connecting people from all over the world with their loved ones, giving them insight and guidance into their current situations, their past healings, their blockages, and what they need to know in order for them to have a better future. It would be my absolute honor if you would come to my website at www.thependulumspath.com, visit my shop. I have a whole bunch of crystals, oils, balms, mystery boxes, and more. And visit my services. I offer 15-minute, 30-minute, and 60-minute sessions. I also have email readings available if you're not comfortable with the one-on-one session with me or if you just want to try me out. I encourage you to come visit me at the Pendulum's Path and let's get you back on the right track today. Hey everybody, Lady Gwendolyn here from Rowan Temple of Light and I'm here to tell you about our events this summer. First up is Beltane in the Hills, May 13th, and that is from 1 to 6. We have entertainment, we have a bunch of vendors, we have a fairy photo shoot, it's going to be exciting. You having any questions, uh, reach out to Earth Magic or to myself. Um, after that, we have uh, Central West Virginia Pagan Pride, August 19th. That's at Holly Gray Park from 11 to 5 for the day. And we will have Sarah Masters coming down from Pittsburgh to be our keynote speaker. We have some great classes for that. So, if you want to get involved, reach out to Rowan Temple of Light at Gmail or just follow us along on Facebook at Rowan Temple of Light. And we look forward to seeing you out in the community. See you there. 
All right. Welcome, Joe. How are you? Doing well. How are you? Doing well, doing well. I had a very interesting conversation. The service looks highly interesting, and, and the book was delicious. So I'm going to have to delve into that a little bit more. Um, you know, because there's a, there's a lot of good authors here. And if anything, it saves me on Audible. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. All right. So hello, Brenda. Hello, Shannon. How are you? Ooh, hey, what guys. recipe are we hunting? Ooh, we're hunting recipes? What? Yeah, Brenda was late because she was hunting a recipe. I was wondering which one she was hunting up. I know, right? Things? You're late for it. You have to share it. It better be good, too. Like, you know, beet eggs. Or, you know, hot mustard that Joe's a little shocked from. So tell the story of you cooking dinner last night. Yeah, yeah. So so last night was kind of a simple dinner. It was hamburgers and... Uh, uh, a salad that we already had pre-made. And uh, so anyway, I'm trying to put these burgers together and like he's pretty consistent on what he wants on his burger. And he'd made this joke about the hot pepper mustard that it, it or I thought it was a joke. Should have thought it was a joke that it was going to replace mayonnaise for it. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I'm going to fix his hamburger and I'm like, do you want hot pepper mustard on it? And he's like, yeah. So I put that on there, and then I go to find the mayonnaise in the fridge, and there is none. And so all I could do at that point is just turn to him and be like, you have created an international incident in this home. And he's like, what did I do now? And I'm like, you are out of Duke's mayonnaise. It is an international incident, if I remember correctly. Uh-huh. And you're like, yeah, it's because I switched to the hot pepper mustard. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, oh, so you want to both halves of your burger? Like, because I only planned for it to be on one half. Uh-huh. No, no, put it on both. It was delicious. Um, I'm thinking, I found, uh, of course, I watched cooking shows from the 1880s. <laughs> they recreate, because it's interesting to see what people in the 1800s ate. Comparative to the garbage that you know most Americans eat nowadays. Oh, well, and they had a salad dressing on there that was mustard-based. Uh -huh. I'm thinking about trying it with the hot pepper mustard. I don't know how well will that work with the dog. Well, I think the dog will have to live with it. Oh, okay. I mean, because the dog does not eat mustard. Yeah. I mean, we haven't tried him on the hot pepper mustard, but something tells me that giving the puppy the hot pepper mustard is a bad, bad, bad idea. Well, it is not a bad, bad idea, and we will see if he wants to eat it, if there's ever anything to actually share back with him. Well, there you go. I mean, we could put some on the keto bread. Mm -hmm. See if he likes keto bread, too. Yeah, the Carb Master keto bread is actually good. Joe is eating it. Yeah, well, it wasn't that different. Right. It was like a nice rock. Very delicious. Um, I don't know how it's going to do on a peanut butter. Sandwich. I'll probably attempt that later tonight. Advice, though, if you're using the keto bread or any bread that is keto, put it in the freezer. Pull it out as you need it. Yeah, that way you don't have that rush. And then, for God's sakes, it's $7 a lift. 
Well, yes. But also, so, I'm not sure of the preservatives in it. And if it's like any other fresh breads, it's preservatives. Well, or it's preservative-free and it goes bad. Right. Yeah. Right. Like, bread was never meant to last on a shelf for a month. Mm-hmm. Just, let's all get clear on that. Yes. Like, that's some unnatural crap. Right. All right. So, yeah. Oh, so a beer recipe for the Instant Pot that I thought I had saved. Ooh. Oh, the hot pepper mustard. Do you want to share some of that? I'll share the recipe. Yes. Yes, it's on the coffee table. Yep, it is. It is. It is. Uh, so try not to laugh too hard when you read the recipe title. Yeah. Very much so. But it's delicious. You know, it's one of the best things my sister-in-law has gotten me. It went off by the Book of Shadows that she designed for me. Oh, oh, no, the dressing is what uh, Brenda wants. Oh, the dressing, yes. I will definitely share that video directly to Patreon, if I can find it in YouTube. Hey, there you go. I have no problem sharing some of the things that I get up to in the morning. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Oh, goodness. All right. So how's your day yet? Hmm. We've not seen each other much today. Uh, yeah, basically. Um, no, that pretty much sums up how my day's gone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's 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 been it's been one of those everyone wants something. Yep. And so, like, I get like one person okay, and then the next person, and I get them okay, and the next person. And the next, and the next, and the next, and then, yeah, yeah. I'm just like, okay, everyone can calm down now. Um, but it'll it it'll be fine. Right. So that is in the Patreon. If you want to see the salad dressing and the salad, Ace will probably cross up on next week because it looks lovely and delicious. All right, let me get the poll ready while I'm over here. All righty. That delay. There we go. Yes, I can mean I'm on the wrong number. Got a lot of simulcast. I know, right? Yeah. So, anyhow, you also pop up that. Yes. Buy your host coffee. Well, yes, that would be nice if someone chooses to buy us coffee. Yes, we'd love coffee. More coffee, please. All right. So now that I'm on the right station, let's get the poll up on if you are an asshole. Okay. Ready to take it? Yes. All right. Am I the asshole for defending my brother, who my dad accused of faking being sick by bringing up the time when I could have died? Backstory. Um, now, I'm going to preface the story with I'm thinking that um, the, the OP wrote this from the perspective of the past, and I think they are now older. Okay. So keep that in mind, because otherwise it gets really confusing. Right. 
I, 16 female, got strep throat from my little brother, 7 male, who brought it home from school. He coughed without covering his mouth and coughed all over. My sister, 14 female, and I told him to cover his mouth, but he never did, and my parents told us to stop harassing him. I was the main caretaker for both my siblings, with my parents just kind of going to work and coming home. I have very sensitive tonsils, so anytime I get any sort of throat infection, they get inflamed, and I get tonsillitis secondary to whatever throat infection I have at the time. I was trying to take care of my siblings while still sick. My tonsils were the size of ping pong balls, touching in the back of my throat and oozing pus. I couldn't swallow, I was having some mild difficulty breathing, my fever was 104, and I sweat through my clothes while still freezing. I was like that for four days on the couch, begging my parents to take me to at least urgent care. We lived right down the road and had excellent health insurance that they accepted. They refused and even excused me of faking. Four days later, I managed to get my tonsillitis under control enough to be able to breathe comfortably and swallow, though it was excruciating. So to get up and take care of my siblings, do some chores that began piling up. I'd lost five pounds in four days from the toll the fever took on my body and I was still weak, but at least I wouldn't get in trouble for letting dishes set in the sink. Two weeks after the first onset of symptoms, I was better. A month ago, our dad called me and my brother uh, explaining his symptoms to me. I'm a nurse. Saying he was trying to fake being sick. I said it sounds like the start of the flu and even looked flushed feverish. He got mad at me and accused my brother of lying again. I told him he needs to believe him and brought up the story I wrote out above. Instant karma must have been on my brother's side that day because I heard him projectile vomit on our dad. I said, he seems pretty sick to me. Told my brother I love him and to feel better soon and hung up. Our dad texted me later saying I shouldn't have brought it up in front of my brother because it would undermine his authority to send him to school if he wasn't really sick. I told him that clearly my brother is sick and my story uh, now proves he hasn't learned from his mistake. He's still mad at me and keeps making passive-aggressive posts on Facebook about disrespectful, disobedient kids. It's been a month, and now our family is in on it, telling me that I should respect and obey my parents, and now he has no authority with my brother because of me. I just ignore them right now, but I'm really starting to wonder if I'm in the wrong. So... Am I the asshole for defending my brother, who my dad accused of faking being sick, by bringing up the time when I could have died? No. I have I'm a sorry, I'm... question. <laughs> Where the hell are you, and why haven't you called Child Protective Services on this man? Why isn't the brother, the not only was the caretaker of the... Um, brother and sister but why is that child not living with you well op uh female uh yeah i would would have hoped you would have gone for for trying to get you know care of your ch uh, siblings on this right. one though that's not always possible for everyone right but this seems like one of those situations i think you just start with a phone call to child protective services yes and work it out from there right um, it's already been um, reported. They didn't do much, unfortunately. Oh, seriously? 
good God. Yeah. I like this is a nightmare. This yeah. is a nightmare. So I like don't get me wrong, I know kids fake being sick. I know kids are like you know, and there's reasons for that. Um, and I, I know it's really hard on parents to, to sit there and try to play nurse mm-hmm. to figure out, are you really sick or do you have a, a, have something going on that makes you sick in air quotes? Um, you know, and, and what do we do? How do we take care of that? Right. Um, I, so I kind of get that and on, on one front. On another front, though, I'm just going, this is pretty obvious these kids are sick. Right. Like, how do you fake that? Right. Like, even if she is faking, something really bad is going on. Right. So, either which way, take the kid to the uh, doctor. Right. Same for the the brother that is, you know, on the, the video chat. I mean... If he has gone through the process of of trying to fake being that sick, right? Again, something very serious is going on. This isn't right. a case of you don't have insurance or finances. It sounds like both of these are are hardworking people. I don't know if it's that you don't want to call out of work to take care of your children, right? But. Uh, yeah, this is what you signed up for when, when you had the sexy, sexy time without the, right. the preventatives. Right. You signed up for this. You have to take that kid to the doctor now. Don't care if you're sick or not. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure this one's sick. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know. Right. That's that's the deal. This is this is medical medical neglect of a child. Like, right. Plain and simple. You have to take this child to the doctor. Right. Unless you have some religious belief mm-hmm. that somehow decides that you just don't take children to the hospital for right. anything, um, I mean, that's the only way I can think of, you know, right. that begins to justify it. And even then, it's like, this is a nightmare. Right. Like, those are sick kids that are kind of... Like, I hope they make it to 18. Right. Like, what what else can you say here is, I hope they make it to 18 and get the hell out. Right. I hope they apply for emancipation and get out. I right. hope someone somewhere gets them out right. or gets through to these parents. You really can't right. do this. Exactly. And, you know, hopefully they will age out soon. We will be 18 and away from parents um, and move forward. So I'm gonna go with not the asshole. I I <laughs> trying to separate the severity of the situation from what she did. I still have to say you you he didn't learn from the past. You just smacked him between the eyes with it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he brought that on himself. Right. Um. At this point. Right. Um. I, I have to go with not the asshole. Yeah. Like, ordinarily, like, I, I might have a moment there of, do you really want to do that in front of your brother and create, 
like this this disrespectful situation. Right. You, you basically said the only liar here is your father. Right. Who doesn't know shit? Exactly. Um, uh, because that's what that story communicates. It's yeah. just your father's an idiot who doesn't understand shit. Right. Um, and, and it's kind of hard to be respectful of a parent that is obviously neglecting you. And, oh, here's my story of when it happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, argumentatively. Uh, still though, still though, he doubles down and goes on Facebook to post about disrespectful and disobedient kids. Right. Dude. Dude. Oh, no. Right. Total asshole. Right. Sorry, your father is a total asshole, not the asshole for what you did. Right. Not the all right, so we're getting some comments. Okay. Um, Shannon starts out with, look, I swear I did not write this one. Um, but goes on to say, I caught strep so bad as a kid that when I was nearly an adult, I still had traces of it in my system. And the doctor ripped my mother a new one when I said, yeah, when I was about seven, I had a bad sore throat. My mom told me to just tough it out. And strep being a uh, uh, and stop being a baby, I couldn't eat for two weeks and could barely swallow liquids. My mom called me a liar, and he lit her up. I have to be careful about strep now because it mutated so much. I have to do shots and possibly IV antibiotics. Yeah, I come from one of those families, and there shouldn't be any allowance for this shit. No. Fair, fair, fair. I look, I'm there. My first impulse, like, say less. Right. I'm going to take you to a doctor. Right. Um, you know, (laughs) uh, so Brenda comes along and kind of laughs at Shannon for, for, I didn't write it. I swear I didn't write it. Um, (laughs) but Brenda grew up with, if you can walk, you're not sick. I still have a hard time admitting when I'm sick. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, mom, uh, was okay. And dad was the one that was, you're not sick one. He only got sick one day in a year. So you couldn't be sick. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm like, believe me, I'm familiar. Like. We're both familiar with that. You know, you are famous for hiding my computer and keyboard. Yeah, he has to be denied access to work when he's sick. He's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just a flesh wound. I'm fine. Uh (laughs) It's the bullshit. Reattach your leg and go to bed. Yeah, well, fine. Bring me the cat's guts. But, you know. Um, but I grew up in the same type of household, but I think that we are moving past that. Like, companies are now firing employees for not calling in sick. Yeah. Well, and then uh, I will say companies really do, like, schools, companies, and then, like, the, the lovely, uh, what kind of parent do you have, and how fucked are they about the school system? Because, right. let's be real, that's now gotten worse. Yeah. With... I mean, some of the truancy policies, I'm sitting here going, are you kidding me? Yeah. Like, y'all are nuts. Right. 
you're just nuts. Um, but anyway, that's that's my soapbox for the evening. Schools are nuts for the truancy policies they're now developing. Uh, right. At least some of them. Like, some of these are so extreme, it's ridiculous. You're just trying to lock parents up. Right. It wasn't enough to create a school-to-prison pipeline for the kids. Now the parents are in on the action, and right. you're putting them in jail right. for the most ridiculous, like, think it through. It's a wet paper bag. Think your way out of it. Exactly. Um, situations. So, yeah, no. No. But employers, uh, I will say, um, it does seem like they are getting better. I have been through that experience with an employer mm -hmm. from both sides, and it was the same employer. Right. Um, so little background, this was one of those employers that was like, are you really sick? Are you sure you can't come in? And then like guilts you, aggravates you, harasses you. Like I had emergency gallbladder surgery and got read the riot act because I wasn't going to be back at work on Monday morning after having emergency surgery mm -hmm. on Sunday morning. Right. Like, key emphasis there, they don't do emergency surgeries on Sundays unless it's an emergency and it's bad. Right. All right? Um, so that's how my gallbladder came out. Um, so I got all kinds of grief, annoyance, aggravation for the whole week. Mm -hmm. Like, I had to call in daily to yet again let them know I wasn't going to be there. Right. Um... And then, you know, go through this whole thing. Um, but then I turn around and um, flash forward and I'm, I've worked through things. I've struggled through things and I've been sick at work and done the whole day of like, oh, I have 103 fever and I feel like crap. And then, um, oh, which flu was it? Um, H1N1. Yeah, H1N1 comes through. Um, cause I never can remember the actual, like other press name for it, but right. H1N1 is what I had. And, um, well, that's a little further down the road. Anyway, our whole office got sick. Like right. we were dropping like flies with it. And, um, all of a sudden, now that this is really harmful and, you know, the owner of the comp or the president of the company knows that he could get sick, take it home to his wife and kids and they could die now if we so much as think we feel bad mm -hmm. don't come in go to the doctor you can't come back for a week after you uh, get diagnosed right oh well that's cute right so i actually did get sick but i didn't feel bad like i was like comparatively i was doing pretty good in the beginning each one in one was a sneaky little bastard let me mm -hmm. tell you. Because it starts out and it's just like, oh, yeah, I, I kind of don't feel okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, uh, the foreshadowing of that one. Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, they, they sent me home. Mm -hmm. and, and we're like, you have to go to the doctor and you can't come back till you do. Right. Okay, whatever. So I go to the doctor. Yup, H1N1. Okay. So, uh, you know, 
messaged the office, let them know, blah, blah, blah. We hope you feel better, yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. All right. The next morning I get up, I my like I have a spiked fever. I feel like death warmed over. Okay, see, here's what happened. Um, my boss mm-hmm. decided that, okay, since I can't be in the office, I can, however, work from home. Mm-hmm. And so for that entire 40-hour week, I took eight hours, or excuse right. me, yeah, eight hours of PTO is what it totaled up to. Right. Um, now, that was a severe reduction because I was working like 80-some-hour weeks at that point. Right. Um, so that was a severe reduction of how much work I did. Like, I only did 32 mm-hmm. hours of work that week. Right. And the place fell apart. Just so oh, not it- only that, but then I go back in, I fill out my little PTO request mm-hmm. for the hours I missed, turn it in, and I get called into my boss's boss's office. Uh-huh. And she's like, what is this? And I'm like, I was out last week because I was sick. And y'all told me to fill out a PTO form for the hours that I didn't work. You only had eight hours. I said, well, four of those were on Monday when you sent me home. Half day. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I managed about four hours, uh, an hour each day for the next four. Like, I just worked through lunch mm-hmm. and then scooted out at four. Mm-hmm. And she's like, are you serious right now? And I'm like, yeah, I, I worked 32 hours last week with, you know, what's your problem? So anyway, my boss got yelled at <laughs> for what the hell was yeah. that? Well, you know, you're just glorified clerics. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Over glorified clerical. That's what, what our company said. Or, or the company's owner, not mm-hmm. the president, the owner had said that IT was over glorified clerical. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, and I'm sure y'all paid for some of the mistakes I made that week because I was messed up. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what I did wrong that week, but I will guarantee I did stuff wrong that week. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, there's no way. No way. Guarantee. Oh, but yeah. But, ooh, this is going to be a hot topic one tonight. It will be. We'll see if you register. All right. Well, you still got comments. You know, school nurse sends them home and tells me not to send them back until no vomiting for 24 hours. I get in trouble for following the rule. So guess what? Not everyone's going to suffer. I send the kids right the next day and tell the nurse to tell them to walk home it's less than a block down the street and if she thinks they don't need to be in school because of their policy is stupid mm-hmm. yeah so i do like the theory here right uh <laughs> so now i'm just puke on the principal and mm-hmm. if teachers and principals get thrown up on they'll refuse to work till the school board changes their stupid bullshit. Yes. 
Because you only get nine absences in a year. Mm-hmm. Nine, well, okay, if the kids miss nine days without doctor notes, they make you go to truancy court. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, here's the thing. I understand the, the this in a work environment, okay? Like, if you apply this to adults, I can understand that. Mm-hmm. These are kids. Here's the thing about childhood is there are a lot of, like, chicken pox, all right? You get that in childhood, cytomegalovirus. You're supposed to get that in childhood. I was the stupid one who got it as an adult. Of course you did. Um, You know, but all these things, um, it's a variable little cesspool over there, okay? Right. Okay. And most of these things in children who get it at appropriate ages, mm-hmm. it's not that big a deal. You just keep them home. You keep them hydrated. You try to keep their fever down. You try to make them comfortable. They mm-hmm. feel better in a few days. It's okay. Right. It's okay. No doctor needed. Everyone knows what fucking chicken pox looks like. Right. Not a question. You know what chicken pox is. All right. Not a problem. There's nothing your doctor's going to do. Nothing. Nothing. The kid has chicken pox. Take him home. Try to make him comfortable. All right. Wait out for two weeks. Wait it out. You have the flu. There's nothing really to treat that other than like Theraflu and all those are comfort remedies. All right. You know what I mean? This is make you feel better not to make you well well you know i debate that one because i have my own little flu remedy that works lovely it's called two shots of whiskey and some cinnamon (sighs) tea not an endorsed (laughs) like just run this flavor just run this flavor um but you know know, two shots of nyquil go to bed for eight hours get up and pull a 16 hour shift you can do it not medical advice uh, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Um, and Shannon points out, I can't give my kids whiskey, Asen. Yes, you can. They are over the age of two months. You can't. No, you can't. Yes, you can. No. You're going to give it to them in their call syrup anyhow. Just skip the flavoring. Well, that's a fair debate, okay? Like, let's just take a moment with that. We're not talking about get your kids drunk. Oh. Um, but I mean, fair enough. There is some alcohol um in cough syrup, at least the good shit. Yeah. Like um yeah, Brenda, that was probably to knock you out. Yeah. Knock you out. That was the goal plan. Um, I understand because I had um <laughs> mom pulled a good one. I, I have to give my mother credit for this one. This one worked out. I had an earache for an entire week. I went back to school and got chicken pox the very next day, that, that day, and came home with it, basically, and then woke up the next morning sick. So mom got smart. 
for the earache, they had given uh, me airdrops that knocked me out. Like every other medicine. Totally knocked me out. Two drops in my ear, I'm down. Down. Non-functional. So I come home with chicken pox, and I won't stop scratching. She's put socks on my hands. Okay. That, that's one of the tricks. You put socks on your children's hands, and then they don't dig. Um, I won't stop. So she goes, I got this. She eardropped me for the next week. Uh-huh. Like, I don't really... Re- I remember the socks going on my hands, and then nothing. Mm-hmm. Till she woke me up to go to school. Because <laughs> I no longer had chicken pox. It was like, I had chicken pox. I didn't have chicken pox. Yeah. So, but anyway. All right. <laughs> oh god so shannon's mama took how uh uh whorehound candy put it in a baby food jar stuffed it full and poured whiskey in it shannon gets croup at the drop of a hat as a kid guess who gets a shot of candy syrup every two hours I spent every winter with a buzz from the age of two until I was old enough to not get grouped. Oh, Shannon. Oh, Shannon. I'm so sorry. There is a bottle of, um, what is it? Irish Rose underneath the sink just for children. (laughs) Oh, God. Isn't that like 20 years old? I don't know. It's closer to 30. It'll cure anything. I'm sure it will at this point. It'll cure living, too. Well, now it gets better with age. 2,000 proof alcohol. Hey, it's an antibiotic. Oh. <laughs> Oh, Brenda, my grandma gave my aunt uh, paragoric drops in her bottle over the counter back then for croup. Kids slept for six months of her first year. Shannon, fair enough. Look, they used to give cocaine tablets for teething, so that doesn't surprise me. (laughs) And? Like, I, I think it's a wonderful medicine when used properly. The problem is it's not regulated because they got stupid with it. Oh. Oh. I mean, it's just weird, like, looking back at medical history and some of the products that, that were developed and why they were developed and what they were developed for and how they were used. Like, once upon a time, you could buy morphine over the counter. Um, you know, that was long, 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 long time ago, but... Oh, come on. Back in the early 1900s, i.e. and you could buy opium in bottles like Tylenol. Yes, a hundred years ago. Like, yep. that's the key point here. A hundred years ago, we were a long ways away from knowing some shit. Exactly. Um, 
and then they figured it out and we moved on and we don't do that anymore like sorry heroin used to be over the counter yes um so many things used that that now these are hardcore drugs land you in prison drugs mm -hmm. do not use them um because they're illegal as hell um but back then uh-huh but doesn't that make you question why they're illegal some of it does some of it some of it like mm -hmm. i i like marijuana i will never understand how that got made illegal i like i do i know the history i know why but still yeah it got it illegal because of it was destroying the newspaper industry well, the paper industry, yeah. well, the hemp industry was a threat to the paper industry and taking out, because it's a two-prong event, taking right. out marijuana was a, a goal to prevent the growth of hemp, no matter whether or not it had THC right. or had enough to make it viable as a drug that we commonly know as marijuana that we smoke um instead of just being hemp the plant that makes paper and other products and right. its thc content is so fucking low it's pointless right like good luck try to smoke it you're not going to get anything right um headache you'll get a headache so that was pr prong one mm -hmm. then we flash forward and so we just had a moral slash semi-legal status for it and then we flash forward and we start, and I believe that was under Reagan, the war on drugs. Right. Um, that looked to basically disenfranchise people of color by revisiting these laws that no one really cared about. Right. Um, until all of a sudden it could be used to lower the number of Democratic voters. Right. So, yeah, hi. Uh, people of color at the time generally voted Democratic. And um, if we target those communities um, with drug uh, laws, mm -hmm. uh, we will reduce the number of people eligible to vote. That's our history on marijuana. Hi. It's right. fun. Um, now, like heroin, that one I understand making illegal. I don't understand making it illegal, and here's why. Okay. I don't understand why make a medication that is used as a pain medicine at end-of-life stages illegal. No, that with morphine, I can understand. No, they Although were using I think heroin for that. Pardon? They were using heroin before they used morphine. Heroin right. came first. Open, opioid came first, then heroin, then morphine. Right. Okay. So why not make a, you know, and now we've got this opium epidemic going on with Lorcab City. And it's like, hmm, we backed that train up a little bit and, you know, stayed with keeping cocaine a prescription medicine that is a pill farm that has to be and is properly regulated hmm would we have the fentanyl problem that we have 
And no, I do think that that's we have in many instances, you know, created a better mousetrap, created a better mouse. Right. In which we had done more to control and manage the usage. Mm-hmm. Um, then we wouldn't have had analogs to it created. Right. And many of those analogs are stronger and worse than right. the original drug that those drugs were seeking to replace or take the place of or mm-hmm. whose uses are very similar to. Right. Um, no, I'm I like I do get that argument and I'm I, I'm I'm really comfortable with that argument. Right. Um but I also understand like At the point in which we made it illegal, it had become more of a social problem. Right. Um, In that I think this was more of a knee-jerk reaction to the social problem that was created. Mm -hmm. Um, And I see this more simplistic thinking as if we make it illegal, then they can't do it, and then we don't have a problem. Right. Um, and it's sort of like, you know, busing your homeless population out of your area or giving your homeless population a plane ticket to somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that got rid of the problem. But did it? Or you. Yeah. Didn't solve anything. Right. You know, now we have, you know, minors that work all their lives addicted to painkillers instead of addressing the problem now we have moms just trying to get through the day by any means necessary because the insurance company says oh we can't give you this formulation to treat you know your medical condition so you know we create a bigger stimulatic problem instead of letting doctors be doctors right yeah we and this like none of this is a one thing is the key linchpin like it's all of it in combination has created a massive problem with healthcare, with medication with how we you know pay for healthcare, and how you know those paying for healthcare insurance companies um decide they don't want to pay for healthcare right at any cost to you possibly i mean because let's face it if cocaine was legal as a medication i.e., you know, a doctor can write a patient a prescription for cocaine. So that means the drug manufacturer has to produce a drug that is over 3,000 years old. Guess what? There's not a fucking copyright on it. Right. It's going to be very cheap. Yes. Instead of, I don't know, let's take a look at current prices. (laughs) Oh, let's make for fun search histories. What's the current price of cocaine? <laughs> current price of um, let's see if I can still spell it. I won't say what I'm re- looking up. Oh, so anyway, uh, going along with this conversation, Shannon points out anyone else's teachers not like the argument drug money gets countries through recessions. Right. You know, know, it's true. Well, it's true, yes. Um, Because, hi. Um, 
I wish it's not that I was was too dumb to have made the argument as a kid. I never made the argument as a kid because I was that kid who, like, it took me a long time to get there. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I, I kind of locked into Dare and was like, okay, I'm here. I get it. Awesome. Cool. And drugs are bad. Drugs are horrible. Drug money is bad. Dra- all, dr- everything with drugs is bad. Right. I was there. Um, like you, you like you, you gave this as a scientific-looking lesson. You, you broke it down for me in ways that made logical sense. Like you had good arguments there. You did great job. You fucked up though. Like, and this is the legacy of Dare. You fucked up. Right. See. You went through and you told us all these things and, and you ensconced them in science. And you, you made it look like this was actual, you know, real things. You lied to us about a few of those drugs. Yeah. All right. Uh, marijuana being A1 on the list. Mm-hmm. Like you flat, bald face lied about marijuana. Mm-hmm. Like you told us crap about marijuana that was... Oh, untrue. And so this lovely generation of kids that should have said no to drugs, thank you, Nancy Reagan, um, we were good until we found out how badly you lied to us. Mm-hmm. And then we didn't trust anything you told us. Right. Like, you effed up. You, you had a whole generation that would have stayed away from cocaine, away from heroin, away from drugs, if you'd just been honest. But you lied to us about one, and then that made us, like, go out searching and, like, okay, let me see what's going on here. And that's been proven in the data. Dare lied, a lot of kids tried drugs. All right, so get your handy dandy calculator out. Lovely. All right, one second. Sorry, I really got to clean off my desk. Right. It's getting to the point I can't move my mouse. <laughs> this is bad. Do I need to? Alrighty, what we got? All right. So two thousand nine hundred and seventy-three dollars and ten cents. Okay. Plus $249. Okay. Equals? $3,222.10. Yep. That is the daily cost of pain management for an end-stage cancer patient. Okay. Comparative. Now, this is comparative to if they were to use the original protocol for this. Before all this crap was made illegal... $249 $249 for 10 days. Okay, so 249 period, like nothing else after that? No. All right, so that takes the daily cost down to $24.90. Yeah. That's your stark contrast. Yeah. It is literally costing $3,190 a day extra. Mm-hmm. To manage pain. Right. 
and the differential like i and this is where it sometimes becomes important is like what's the differential well like is is this better pain management for three thousand a hundred and ninety some dollars well the differential is this one is any is um is a combination that is used in hospice and is fda approved okay. the other is protocol from the 1920s applied to current street drug values that we can you know guess about how much it costs okay okay well but I, i'm just saying so other than the the it has fda approval and it's common treatment right i mean are we talking about better pain management more consistent pain management yes longer lasting as in, what do you get for the $3,190? Is it more consistent, easy to administer, uh, less likely to, you know, accidentally kill someone? Um, like, what you get in there? You're getting an internal pump that's attached through a blood vessel. You're getting pumped medication. And you're getting pills that cause hallucinogenics. Okay. And that's for the three thousand two hundred and twenty-two dollars. Correct. Okay. Versus what would you be getting for twenty-four dollars and ninety cents a day? That is what you would be. Well, that's two. I don't need the drug name. Right. That's two forty-nine for ten days. And right, it, and I divided it by ten, so it's twenty-four dollars and ninety cents a day. Right. So it would be five pills. That you take daily okay and if someone is having trouble like because there, right. there's a lot of different forms of cancer and a lot of different cancers right. involve inability to swallow inability so to dissolve keep it down okay you, you dissolve it i mean and so it's just an injection yeah okay um and so is that i mean and I'm weighing this out seriously. Is right. what is the value of three thousand one hundred ninety dollars in terms of pain management? Right. Um, is the like, are you getting something that is significantly better enough mm -hmm. to justify that? No, nah. you're not. Interesting. Interesting. It's, it's the same receptors. It, it, it allows you to be a little bit, maybe hyped up if you're a little bit more conscious. It hits the same pain sensors, and it's not an opioid form of medication. Okay. Um, oh, goodness. Brenda's sending me private messages. Wow. <laughs> They're always great. Um, so, no, I'm just... I, like that makes me struggle with the idea of so what are we doing here well what we're doing in terms of of healthcare what are we doing here yeah because we we've been on this rabbit hole chase of bigger right. better faster more profitable for pharmaceutical companies screw the patient right for a long time now right and fundamentally, unless the, that $3,222.10 a day. Plus the implant surgery. We're not counting that. We're just counting the cost of the medication. Okay. 
the medication once you've had the surgery. Um, unless we're fully covering that. Right. And perhaps wouldn't cover the $24.90, which to me sounds dumb. Right. Sounds dumb. Um, because honestly, the $24.90 solution, if made in a, an actual facility. Right. You know, prepackaged, lovely, well-dosed mm -hmm. manufacturing process. Probably going to be cheaper than $24.90, or could be. The cost of manufacture would go down significantly. Right. Because you're no longer paying the um, illicit drug upcharge. Right. Because you're not. Right. Um, because that's the thing that exists with illegal drugs, is when you are buying drugs illegally, their prices are higher because the illegal activity is required to get them to you. Right. So yeah, um, I, I I would personally struggle with that, right? Of having an a, a, because I'm assuming you know in the scenario I'm having to picture myself. I already have cancer. Mm -hmm. I I am terminal. Mm -hmm. I am probably in pain mm -hmm. already mm -hmm. because. Duh, this is why we're doing a pain medication. And the idea that, that you know, I, I'm moving towards the end of my life because I'm terminal. And you want to open me up and, and do a surgery for a device, for a medication that's going to cost $3,200 a day. Right. And potentially I'm going to last one day to some number of months in the future mm -hmm. after I have this surgery as I'm being pumped full of this drug. Uh-huh. Does anyone else sit there and struggle with the logic of that one? Yeah. And furthermore, it's mildly addictive. Both of them are technically a death code. Well, technically, you're at the end of your life. Like, we're, we're not planning 40 years down the road when you've ruined your career. Right. Because of your addiction. Right. Um, like, I, I'm sorry this may be inappropriate, but I figure if you have cancer, then becoming an addict, really, right. there's not a better time in your life to become one. Right. Well, you know, like, but that's what you know, we're pointing out here, at least I'm trying to point out, is like, I don't know, it's like sigocytomide. Go read some medical research on it when you've got some time and you want to actually delve into some deeper scientific theory there. They're finding that it is great treatment for <coughs> the pain of MS, the nerve tension of MS. It's illegal. Okay. Because it can grow in the backyard of a swampy pig farm and, you know, cost nothing to produce. And, you know, they can't make a profit off of it because anyone with a pig farm can grow it. Okay. So it would be a lovely boon to a lot of these farmers who are sitting there with their fields being, you know, laying barren. Mm-hmm. Because the government paid them not to grow. Right. Could grow an alternative product. Mm-hmm. 
that you know while raising pigs right but it's okay. not profitable well but it sounds like it's basically just plant the seeds and rip it out of the ground at the end of the year yeah or end of its growing season right so it's it, it may not be highly profitable but it's not all that effort uh, uh right but it's not, again it's not based profitable they you know okay. anyone can grow seagull cyanide it's a mold grows on animal feces mm -hmm. it's a mushroom and grows anywhere yeah yeah these are the theories when you go and read victorian medicine and compare it to today and you're like what are we doing now granted some of this and i think it's important to say again no way is this medical advice this don't necessarily advice. yeah right. don't go out and just try to do this no no um th this is just a higher level thought process of like what are we doing yeah like what are we doing we're just propping up a pharmaceutical potentially because there could be like there are people far more skilled and trained in this who may have nuanced argument right i'll allow that Mm -hmm. um but off the top it's like what are we doing why are we sitting here propping up a pharmaceutical industry for no other reason than to prop up a pharmaceutical industry right because i don't even feel bad mm -hmm. at the idea that oh my god a pharmaceutical company is going to sell one less drug right like y'all you really think that money is going so significantly to pay for <laughs> um you know workers like now for research yeah. and development oh bless your heart if you think those scientists get money all right um they are working their butts off to make these companies rich and so there's usually a small collection of people mm -hmm. who do nothing yeah all no right. physical labor whatsoever right so currently it costs the drug companies between two and four dollars to produce a vial of insulin And currently, let's go and do this. Uh, so it's there, they cost them four dollars to do it, and a current vial of insulin per month is $58 per vial. And, and that's, that's currently the good price, yeah, that's currently the good price. Yeah, um, in Canada, in K, in Canada, it's twelve dollars a vial. Step across the U.S. border, as of um, January sixth, it was ninety-eight seventy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and then we have drugs that, like because we saw this happen with um, the EpiPens. Mylon. Mm -hmm. uh, drastically increase the increase the price of those because they could right that's it like there was no there were there was no new information no new research no new delivery system no new anything mm -hmm. they became the only manufacturer right of epipens right so they upped the price because mm -hmm. they could right 
And it literally became a moment where you're presenting potentially families of limited means mm-hmm. with a very hard choice to make between right. like car payment and or rent right or child with severe allergy right pick one you can't have both right i mean yeah especially when you're like dropping i don't know for a month's worth of insulin um and we'll go on the oldest one the narlavada and narlavada flex now let's go hemoglobin m and hemoglobin k $1,300 a month. A month. Yeah. You know, now, granted, they're, you know, they're making moves to cap the price of insulin because they're raking in millions of dollars. Yeah. And not made a change. Millions? Millions? You think it's just right. millions? Like, oh, don't be deceived right like we're talking billions of dollars right it is what these medications make these companies right like hi what are we doing right because it, it it you know hi yes there are people that make these drugs and they work in factories and they deliver and they do the you know the things right they get a very small percentage of that exactly yeah. There is a whole board of investors and executives, all these other people right. that make a humongous amount of money off of it. Right. And, you know, and this is the other thing, and Brenda brings up, you know, about the healthcare workers being worried about her father getting addicted to pain medicine at the end of his life. Really? Seriously? Who actually has that concern? Like, if there's a moment to get addicted... Right. But the other point yeah, of that is, is here's the thing. This is a medical known fact, and this is another problem that occurs with those, oh, they'll get addicted people. The other part of that is they start pain medicine too early. Like they start hitting high powers. So then they got to start doing combos. So then they got to start pulling in other things like allergy medicine and antidepressants and everything to create a new pain medicine. It would equal out pain medicines already there if they were used properly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Well, but yeah, and some of it is that I, I'm quite sure. But just the idea, like I'm, yep. like we were having the discussion the other night, and, and it, it also, and I know this sounds horrible to say out loud, it also informs my situ, uh, my my. Uh, beliefs surrounding our dog one of mm-hmm. them sorry she, she's a 14 year old pomeranian mm-hmm. um okay she's so far out of her or excuse me now she's older than that isn't she she's older than that she can drink and vote okay so and that's in human years not yes. dog years. um so anyway she's a little old lady she equates out i know to like 140 some years old in human right if you take 27 years 23. So insanely old. I have this theory, and it's the same one I had with my grandmother, is what is it going to do? Kill her? Yeah. Like, that was the theory I had with my grandmother. 
not because I don't like my grandmother, not because I'm trying to get her, you know, to go with God a little faster. But in the general theory of my grandmother was 90 some years old, okay? Her body's worn out. Her mm-hmm. mind is worn out. Mm-hmm. Her, you know, her existence isn't all that great. Right. Like a lot of systems and, and, and parts had started to wear out and fail. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if she wants some ice cream for breakfast, fucking eat the ice cream. I don't give a shit. Right. You want ice cream for lunch too? Go right ahead. Do you want ice cream for dinner? How about it? You want ice cream at two in the morning just because? Mm-hmm. Have it. Right. Have it. Yeah. What what are we doing? So it informs our, our situation with our dog. If that dog looks at me wanting an Oreo, by God, I'll break up an Oreo. She is 140-some years old and human. Yeah. She can have an Oreo. Nothing else that she's had in her life has killed her yet. Right. Like, God knows, I'm probably the most thoughtful, (laughs) in some instances, of people that have handed her food. Uh Like, what's it going to do? Kill her? She is a hundred, like, the equivalent of 140 in a human. She's 20, you know, she's a little old lady. Yeah. Well, we've had Um, this discussion. You know, you'll look at me and go, can she have that? She wants it. Think well, see, but I tried to think about it. Like she can technically have whatever she wants. I don't care. Right. I'm not doing. Like I'm not gonna care. I'm asking the question more so. Like, can dogs have this? Right. Or should she have this? So that I can also record in my brain that the seven-year-old puppy. Yes. And the four-year-old puppy, or the three-year-old puppy, whatever he's up to now. He's three. They're not allowed. Right. Like, oh, no, you don't get an Oreo because you are a dog and you can't have chocolate. Okay. For the record, the only thing I do not feed my dogs is grapes or raisins. Grapes, raisins, they cannot have. Onions, they get them. Garlic, they get them. They want a hot pepper jelly sandwich, they get a hot pepper jelly sandwich. And they eat it. And they're fine. Well, but some of these things are typically bad in concentration. Like right. chocolate, I, it's not a new thing in our family to have a dog that loves chocolate. Like mm-hmm. my parents had a poodle who, like, my parents didn't give the dog chocolate. The chocolate, the dog gave itself chocolate. All right, there was no stopping this dog. Mm-hmm. Pierre wanted chocolate. Pierre got chocolate. Pierre didn't ask, didn't give two shits what anyone said. Right. Um, So, yeah, basically, this was the most houndy little uh, poodle Mm -hmm. known to humankind, intelligent Mm -hmm. as hell, um, and probably the most photographed poodle in all of human history. Um, But as the story goes, it didn't matter where you put the chocolate, Pierre would find it. Pierre didn't give a shit. Right. Pierre would eat it, mm-hmm. and it was your tough luck. Right. Now go clean up his crap that's shiny. Because typically what he found were Hershey Kisses, mm-hmm. and um, he was not really good without opposable thumbs at unwrapping the chocolate mm-hmm. before he ate the chocolate. Ah. 
so everyone knew by the glitter trail Pierre had chocolate. Right. But no, a lot of people were like, oh, my, my border colleagues, if that looked at me and said, you don't need to be feeding him dog food. It's actually will upset his stomach more. And we're like, okay. So, you know, yes, he gets kibble, but he gets fed real food. Yeah, he gets real food. Yep. And again, um, yeah, I'm kind of there. Yeah. For, you know, at least and most definitely with the older Pomeranian. Yeah. What is it going to do? Kill her? I'm sorry. We've already made our peace with the fact that she has so outlived her life expectancy. Mm-hmm. Like, she has had a phenomenal life. She has done amazing things. She has survived three owners. Working on killing the third one. Slowly. Oh, sorry. Working on killing the third. Yeah. Um, You know, like, if it makes her happy, she can let her have it. Exactly. I don't know where we got this idea also of keeping humans alive until they're thousands of years old. Like, I think the story of Methuselah got read too much to the generation before us. Well, and I, I go a different, slightly different direction with that right. one, is that somewhere along the way in medicine, we lost compassion for right. quality of life. Right. Over quantity of life. Right. Like, I, like, and this is another part of like the the situation with my grandmother mm-hmm. is I always hated hated when someone would ask like well how old is she and mm-hmm. you know 91 92 93 94 95 96 97 on down the line um because this question got asked often and you know she kept aging right um and they'd be like, she's just so fortunate to live so long. Don't you wish that will happen for you? No. No! And I've looked people dead in the eye and, and jaw dropped them. When it's uh-huh. like, no, I don't want to live to be 90-some years old. Do you know what her life is like? Her husband is dead. Her sibling is dead. Her parents are dead. All of, Most of her family members are dead. Um, everyone she ever knew practically is dead. Her best friend is not even a woman that she particularly likes, Mm -hmm. but she's the last bitch standing, i.e. above ground, not below. Right. This is her, this is her life. Everything hurts. Everything. Everything hurts. She can't do what she wants to. She can't go anywhere without being dependent Mm -hmm. on someone else. This isn't her personality at all. Right. I was happy with the length of her life when she was still able to go and do whatever she wanted to. And we were able to medically manage any issues that she had. Right. Go. Enjoy. Do. Go to Alaska. Go work at the vol- uh, volunteer at the hospital. Go do whatever you want to, Memo. You live right. your best life. At the point in which we got to the other side of that hump, and there's no managing it. Mm-hmm. There's no managing. Right. Like, as in, 
all we're we're not getting her out of pain. We're just making it less. Right. We're blunting it. Right. So it's a little better. But we can't fix her balance. We cannot fix her hearing. She has lost part of her eyesight. She she is a list of problems that make her life hard. Right. And uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. That's not who I want to be. Right. I don't know. I'm good with my life in somewhere before we break the hump into the downhill slide of it just gets worse. Right. We can't fix it. Nothing's going to make it better, really. Like, you're not going to ever feel good again. Right. You're just going to feel less bad. Yeah. Like, no. All right, let's get over to relationship advice. Remember, the poll is up, and we'll go from there. Absolutely. All right, so that was a bit of a jot. Sorry about that, guys. I hope you enjoyed the conversation, because it did look like you did. Yeah. Um, so, all right, so moving into relationship advice. I, 38 male, will be working for the rest of my life, and my wife, 41 female, doesn't seem to care. I, 38 male, had a rough day today and nearly had a panic attack. Wife, 41 female, couldn't care less. I feel like I can't control anything, and just as soon as I start to get a little bit ahead, something else comes crashing down. I've been a reservist since 2004. It took longer than most to graduate college related to training and deployments. Graduated during the recession, couldn't find a job, had to go back to school to become a nurse, didn't want to, but it seemed like the only option at the time. Now I've been a nurse for 11 years. The past several years have been really tough, really rough in this profession, and I dread going to work. After paying off our debt, I'm only just now able to start saving a decent amount of money towards retirement, but I feel way behind. I'm sure that I'll be working for the rest of my life. We live frugally, shitty house, shitty cars, and one four-day vacation a year, and I'm saving as much as I can. I'm putting away 21000 a year, but when I do the math, and I do this daily, I won't have enough until 68, assuming 8% growth and 4% withdrawal. We've struggled, sacrificed, and still feel like we're barely getting by. I feel guilty that I haven't been able to save much for my kids so far. Often I have an internal debate. Should I save for them save for them or try to have something for retirement. I've felt worse lately because our close friends recently retired and they're in their early 40s. Further, I just got back from a month of military duty where I was one of the oldest ones in the group. Everyone had much nicer cars, houses, vacations, and retirement security. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I know I shouldn't compare, but it's blatantly obvious they're doing better than I. We live so tightly that our finances consume me. Every time I have to pay for something unexpected, like fixing the car, I feel like it's adding on to a prison sentence. Between my civilian and military jobs, I often only get four days off a month. Also, miss out on most holidays because staffing is so terrible. I try to talk to my wife. Relax. We'll figure it out. We always do. You only live once. This is not helpful or a solution. She has MS, and every time I'm feeling down, usually because we're going nowhere or backwards, 
She reminds me that she has MS and discounts how I'm feeling. Relatively new diagnosis, and we're still working through this, too. Someone needs therapy. Well, someone needs therapy, but someone needs something a little bit more than therapy. Okay. Okay. Someone needs to do some calculations here. Um, one, you're not responsible for saving for your children. Let them procure the life they want to procure. People do not like this fact or opinion of mine. Save for yourself. Take care of yourself. Secondly, question whether driving shitty cars is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Because it's expensive to be poor. It's expensive to be poor. The insurance is higher. You know the and you know these are things that the gas is higher that you're driving to work. You know you're in a field that you can't work until you die. You need to be getting looking at your field very quickly. Um, meaning your military service will be not usable soon. Um, you can't be a 68-year-old serviceman. You also cannot be a 60, you know, you may be a 68-year-old nurse, but those days on the floor is going to get up to be a lot. So, you know, you need to start questioning what you're doing there. What's your next plan? You know. And also remembering, you know, you're not, you know, your retirement may be at 61. Your retirement may be at 60. Your retirement may be at 52. Um, and I wouldn't be playing with money. I really would not do high finance. Um, 21000 a year is pretty good. That's, I mean, it's some impressive savings. Yeah. Um, but here's my thing. Uh-huh. Right now, you're basically working yourself and saving money and I put saving money in air quotes, at a rate that is uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You're not there. Right. Is is your future retirement, this not guaranteed period of your life, Mm -hmm. where you may or may not get to enjoy it for even a month, before you drop dead, get a terminal diagnosis, or need institutionalization for care, Mm -hmm. is that really what you want to put all, and I do mean all, Mm -hmm. of your physical labor Mm -hmm. and your financial reward into? Like, is that period? That you're not guaranteed anything. Right. You you may drop dead before this, and at the rate you're working and how stressed you're staying, that's a real likelihood. Right. Um, because you're not taking time for yourself, you're you're not doing anything positive for yourself. Right. And you're now emotionally, mentally getting to the point where you're a breeding ground for problems. Right. 
And I don't mean mental health conditions. I just mean literally your mind actually does influence your body. Right. And if you're creating all this stress, mm-hmm. you, you're you creating this, this Petri dish yeah. that is beautiful for a whole host of medical conditions. Right. Um, I, I think you've overshot the idea. Right. The other thing there is... And yes, Brenda, she does work as much as she can. She's a teacher, not very mobile, though. And so, first plan um, would be to take some of that retirement money, get you you guys both cars that she can comfortably drive and you can comfortably drive, preferably not financed. Second thing is you're going to get a six-month emergency fund to handle all these pop-ups. And then you're going to get another account that is going to pay the bills. Okay? And you're going to let that grow. And, you know, you're a nurse, so you can automate your paychecks. You can automate your stuff. We need to take the focus off of retirement accounts. Move the focus over to enjoying your life. Well, creating balance. Yeah. Period. Like, it just, I, I like, start small. Yeah. Don't look at it just enjoying your life because that's, that's kind of the high end. That's where you should end up, not like your immediate. Right. Go enjoy your life. Um, look at balancing. Mm-hmm. Just try to balance because you're sitting here laying out in this post everything that's wrong. Right. You know it. Right. You know this is wrong. That this isn't how you should be living. This isn't how you should be feeling. You should not. Mm-hmm. And so I don't even know that you hate your job because that's like you're dreading going to work every day. They're I don't know that burnout. it's about your job. I think they're hitting burnout. Possibly. Which is but wouldn't you behaviors? Well, but here's my thing. Wouldn't you be hitting burnout as well? Forget the job and all it entails. Wouldn't you also be hitting burnout if all you're thinking of is your retirement and you're so far behind and and this other fucking shitty bill and I'm a shitty parent and, and you know, I, I would dread getting out of bed. Forget going to work. I would dread getting out of bed if that's all that's consuming my brain. Right. I'm going to hate my job. I'm going to yeah. hate my job. They're going to hate your because, life. But, yeah. you know, sit here and obsessing over it doesn't work. What does work is automating and functional. You're not like, you know, I know that this month I have to earn $148 a day. That's what's in my head. That's what's on paper. That's what the books say. Well, yeah. in retirement, mm-hmm. which can be very important, like trying to compare one person's retirement to another person's retirement to another person's retirement, it's all going to be different. Right. We all make different priorities. And yeah, there's things we can do differently and there are ways that we can be frugal and save money. Dude, you're so far down to frugal. Yeah. You spell it C-H-E-A-P. Yeah. And Which cheap costs- is expensive. Cheap is expensive. You know, shitty uh, cars cost more to operate. Shitty homes 
mm -hmm. can create more issues for your spouse with MS. Yes. Like that would be my other, you know, moment is take a step back, look at your life. How much are you spending out mm -hmm. that you wouldn't be? Right. If you had a decent car, if your wife didn't have to climb through a house, potentially, I don't know your living situation. Right. But potentially climb through a house that makes her hurt more. Right. That is harder for her to navigate. That that takes those spoons she wakes up with, mm -hmm. however many there are for that day, and depletes one, two, or three right. off the top, just right. trying to go up and down stairs. Right. Walk down a sloped driveway. Right. Like these are all things that are detracting and pulling away and creating struggle in your life. Right. And then that in turn creates more problems and more expenses right. and more problems. Mm -hmm. And you're in a vicious circle right now. You've got to stop circling this drain right. and figure out how to start plugging the holes right. so and, that you can float more comfortably. Right. And get past the shit that we were taught. And this is the terrible part. And this is, you know, maybe a little bit of me hopping on the soapbox. But we were taught you live, you work 40 years, you retire. You have a lovely social security check. You have a lovely you know, economy, you know, everything is just going to be all grand and gross, you know, but you got to work that 40 years, you got to slave away that 80 hours a week, you know, you're a nurse, you're supposed to do X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. Guys, we were lied to, especially in the nursing field, you were lied to. Those companies are not going to be there for you. They're not going to be continually backing your move. They're not going to be continue. They're not going to be there until you are a patient. <clears throat> Don't be counting on them. Right. Um, and, and more to the point, mm -hmm. this idea mm -hmm. that you're just going to go get a job, work real hard, and then you're going to go take, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years of retirement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that died. Yeah. Like, we had a lovely pension system here in the United States. It, it, it was kind of nice. A lot mm -hmm. of people worked 40 years for one company and retired from it. Mm -hmm. Maybe 50 years for one company and retired from it. And they did. They did get a decade. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. If they didn't drop dead at age 50. Mm -hmm. um, but we've moved so far from that. Right. But we're still talking about retirement and right. putting away for retirement. Yeah. In many instances, like it's just this one thing you do and you just work at one place and, and push yourself to the point you, with the end goal of retirement. Mm -hmm. um, this also causes people to stay at jobs right. that are wrong for them. Right. You're a nurse. You can go anywhere. But if you're sitting there focused on this 40 year, putting in your 40 years or however many years you feel it's going to take, right. you're going to stay in a shitty job longer. Mm -hmm. And again, that comes with more problems. Right. Especially when like, you could do um, travel nursing and make three times, and it is three times what you're currently making. Potentially, yes. Very much yeah. so. Um, but, but here's the deal. If you're staying in a job 
for five years, 10 years, 20 years, 15 mm-hmm. years, till they throw you out. Mm-hmm. Um, you're not getting the positive benefits of your job change. No. Which is usually an increase in pay. Yeah. This model of you get hired and you work till you quit or they throw you out is mm-hmm. gone. Do yeah. not do it. Do not do it. You are hurting yourself long term. Right. Change jobs. Yeah. Get out. Yeah. Go for higher higher bids. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's check the puzzle. Or the, the puzzle. The poll. The poll. Well, it is a puzzle. Yep. Ooh. You were very close, but no, you are not the asshole. Not the asshole. Wait, there was debate? There is a debate. Ooh. It is a 63 by three by 33% debate on whether you are the asshole or not. Ooh. Ooh, so that was close. Heated there. Very heated. All right, guys. Well, I'm going to flip it over and let Joe take it from here. Alrighty, so of course we want to thank Beverly Walker, Mika G, Kathy, Mary Winfield, Brenda, Shannon C, Shannon D, Lady Gwendolyn, Charles Shaw, Tracy Van, Caitlin Bell, and Devin. If you'd like to learn more about us, the show, or how you too can become a Patreon sponsor and receive all the wonderful benefits our baristas receive, please visit us at pcspnetwork.com. Now speaking of those benefits, for $1, $5, or $10 a month, you can receive an end-of-video credit. Um, as well as discounts on services and readings with Ace and Knight, free classes. Um, And the biggest difference between those three levels is the amount of discount you get on that private appointment with Ace and Knight. At the $1 level, you get a 25% discount. At the $5 level, you get a 50% discount. And at the $10 level, you get a 75% discount. So guys, go check it out. We would love your support. And also remember that I do have campaigns going on all the time. Um, and like the classes this month, um, which I need, you need to register if you want to take my candle magic classes. If you're a barista, you get it for free at all levels. Mm-hmm. And that class is what, 30 some dollars? $35. Right. So for, for a dollar a month, mm-hmm. you could get a $35 class. Right. Guys, go check it out. Yeah. So, you know, take a, take advantage, take advantage, take advantage. You get three monthly gallery readings. All right, guys. So I will be here Thursday with Sandy for coffee and tea, um, and we'll be throwing some shade. Um, I also have a sale coming up this weekend. It's going to be fun. Um, Ooh, that's boat. a good one too. Yeah, what is like, it? That is the uh, that that's your weekend sale. Mm-hmm. I'm not giving away the code. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is a lovely sale with mm-hmm. a fifty percent discount. Um, has that email gone out yet, or do you guys still have time to sign up for the list? Um, it has gone out. Okay, so you don't have time to sign up uh, for the email list to get this one. Um, but this is what he sent out to his uh, email list subscribers. 
Right. So go join his email list at aceandknight.com. Right. And you too could have gotten the free secret code mm-hmm. for a 50% off, which is what normally our $5 a month members receive. This is just for this weekend only. Right. Um, so it's a super special offer. Right. Um, he doesn't do that often. I know. I know. Yeah, it's gone up on Facebook and Instagram. Um, you know, if you want to go and check it out, it is on my socials. We are able now to run sales. Mm-hmm. So there will be more sales coming. But yes, there's a code for the weekend that gets you um, 50% off all the readings. Mm-hmm. You got to go find the code. If you're not part of my mail list, you need to get a hold of my mail list. If you one in on that discount. Yeah, because he sends it straight to your inbox. You don't have to go hunt. It's right yeah. there. You just yeah. click and sign. Or click and um, put the code in and you get the discount. Yep. But if you're a barista, you already get your discount. Um, and you already get the class for free. Not even yeah. discount required. And the gallery reading. And the daily affirmations. And all the cool stuff. And you get, you know... Private pictures, private, you know, you also get more look at ASIN. And there is a oh, yeah, group. The Facebook group. Yeah. Oh, we love our Facebook group. Y'all are amazing. Like, yes. we post stuff, they post stuff, you get to see us interact. Like, we mm-hmm. post funny shit there before anywhere else, if it ever makes it anywhere else. Right. Some things are just for them. Right. You know. Understand? Go sign up. It's a dollar a month. It's twelve dollars a year. Right. Come on. Come on. <laughs> All righty. All right. All right. So with that, guys, you guys have a great evening, and we'll see you Thursday. Bye, y'all.